Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly enlightened one. Homage to the blessed, noble, and perfectly The unsurpassed, deep, profound, subtle, wonderful Dharma in a hundred thousand million eons is difficult to encounter. Now that I have come to receive and hold it within my sight and hearing, I vow to fathom the thus come one's true and actual meaning. Venerable Master, Dharma friends, welcome to our Sutra lecture tonight. Happy New Year, everybody. It's uh, January 1st here in Berkeley, California. We're uh, investigating the Flower of Dormant Sutra the Avatamsaka Sutra, the Ten Grounds chapter. And if you would like to hear a Vietnamese translation, we have one up on the balcony. And people in the balcony will be hearing a Vietnamese translation as well as the English. So, Okay, uh, as I say, we're uh, on New Year's Day. How about that here? It's now 2011. Everybody knows that today you can write it as 1.1.11, right? You've all picked up on that. You saw it. 1111 uh, with two dots in between. So it's January 1st, 2011. How about that? So we're here uh, as we are on uh, Saturday evening and... We're going to be looking into this text tonight, and it's a fantastic part of the text. I'm really delighted to be able to lecture on this part, and also next week, uh, the next couple of weeks, when we go through the cause and effect of ten good deeds and ten evil deeds. This is uh, Buddha Dharma, Buddhism at its most useful, most concrete, most practical. Uh, this is... Buddha Dharma you can take to the bank. You can treat it like shoes that you wear to walk on. You will definitely arrive with this, this part of the text. So, uh, on the front of your booklet, you have the name of the sutra and the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas. And we're going to recite those together and invoke the sages of the Flower Dharma Assembly. Amo Amen. 
to folks who are joining us online from wherever you might be around the world. Um, I just came back, as uh, uh, people may know, from, from an extended trip to um, Down Under, starting with Singapore and then to Australia and New Zealand. And it's literally, if we're up here on the planet, oh, it's down here, it's down at the very bottom. And they're going through summer and... Uh, I'm mindful that Australia, particularly Queensland, is experiencing floods the way they, as serious as the drought was in Australia for a decade plus, now uh, they're experiencing deep water and towns are flooded out and they're uh, evacuating people. So uh, climate change is upon us and Australia is definitely feeling it. But um, we can... uh, I want to uh, welcome the folks who are joining us online because uh, this is a proper use of technology to allow individuals to to bring a sutra lecture right into their into their den, into their living room. Now, uh, last time I got to we uh, were on page 14 and 15. So if you could turn to 14 and 15 in your text, that would be great. And there should be a PDF uh, available online for people who want to catch up on the text from your computer. Now, because I was away, I had the blessing of volunteer Buddhist nuns and lay people who covered for me. Bhikshuni Hangzhe and Hangyin and Professor Verhoeven sat in while I was away and uh, covered a lot of the text. But we're uh, in a section that is sequential. So I'm going to read again what I read last week, but because we went backwards to cover the whole, to get the whole flow of it, so I'm going to read again what we did last week. We didn't actually finish lecturing last week what I, what I introduced. So we're going to read the same passage that we did last week and then step back and then 
move it forward. All right? And that's on the very top of 14 and 15. So we're going to do it first in Chinese so you can hear it in the original language that we learned it in, although the original language was not, in fact, Chinese. It was Sanskrit. Uh, it was first spoken in an Indian language. It was written down in Sanskrit. So the Chinese got it in Sanskrit, put it in Sanskrit. We got it in Chinese, we put it into English. So this is a living, flowing tradition of sacred scriptural languages. And we're going to do two tonight. We're going to look at the Chinese and read it aloud so you can hear it and get a feeling for it. And then we're going to do the English. So we're on the top here. Yo 悟解神身，悟解神身，因缘法故，因缘法故，是独觉上。I'm sorry, 成独觉上。To the right in English. Furthermore, when the supreme grade of these ten wholesome karmic paths is cultivated to purity. And when one has not been taught by others, but becomes enlightened on one's own, when one is not fully endowed with great compassion or expedient means, when one is enlightened through understanding of profound dharmas of causes and conditions, One accomplishes the vehicle of those solitarily enlightened. Okay, what's going on here? Uh, we're in a, a section of the sutra called the Ten Grounds chapter. And what you have is the, the latest edition. This is the upgrade of a translation that we first published in 1982, I believe. Master Shrinhua lectured on this text. This is our teacher, founder of this monastery. He lectured on this text starting in, actually in 1969, back in Taiwan. Uh, but he began the full flowing uh, start to finish body of the text in 1970, the end of 72, the beginning of 73. And lectured on it for nine years straight, nine years on one book, you could say. So that's the kind of uh, uh, effort that's required to interpret these spiritual classics. This is definitely a spiritual classic. And there is, mind you, one other translation of it. And that was done by Thomas Cleary and uh, published by Shambhala in one big volume. Um, and if you want to own the whole thing, the big tome, and have it all in between covers, you can do that. Um, I completely applaud Thomas Cleary's uh, resolve and his effort to, to put this text into English. 
um, I find that the text is not all that helpful for the average reader. Uh, some decisions he made, which allowed him to go zooming through and finish, um, were things that, for the first effort, it's incredible. It's a huge accomplishment. But if you are trying to uh, make sense of the text in your life, if you're trying to make that text apply to the decisions that you make from thought to thought, minute to minute, which is the way Master Shrenhua gave us this text, he gave it to us as a handbook for our behavior, then Cleary's uh, incredible accomplishment is a good first step. There's room for improvement. So we're trying to take that next step to move it forward and interpret it in terms of practice, in terms of applying this to, your, to our daily life. So you have one tiny piece of that sutra. We have already done the first ground, and when we were done, it was this big, because we're translating as we go. We're doing it again and presenting it to you in bite-sized chunks. The Ten Grounds chapter, the Shi Di Pin in Chinese, is one piece of a book that is this big. That big. And we're doing that much of it. It's a... Uh, this, this chapter is one of the longer chapters, but when you compare it to the longest chapter, which is chapter 39, the chapter called... Entering the Dharma realm, Ru Fa Jiepin in Chinese, called the Gandavyuha in Sanskrit. This is, this shrinks down. This is a tiny piece. So we're giving you a piece of the second ground, of which there are ten grounds, and the ten grounds is only a chunk of the larger whole text. So that's just to, to kind of put us in place, to contextualize what we're, what we're doing tonight. And of the second ground, we're just in the beginning. We've, we've uh, been lecturing on the second ground of ten for how long now? Three months? And the topic is ethics. Behavior. What people do. That's how we translate ethics. What people do when you ask the question, Right or wrong? Wise move, stupid move. Good idea, bad idea. Those are ethical questions. Should I, shouldn't I? That's an ethical question. And the second ground is all about that. It's all about questions of right and wrong. Should I or shouldn't I? It actually goes deeper. It says good and evil. Right? Now, when you hear good and evil, right away, you... If you're a thinking person, a flag will go up and say, Oh yeah? Says who? Who says good? Who says evil? Is that a judgment? Are you laying a trip on me? Are you imposing your standards of behavior on me? And the answer is, yep, sure are. Definitely there's a judgment implied. There's 
implications, good, evil. But there's a big difference. And I'm, when I explain it to you that way, I'm showing you a little bit of my, my brains, the, kind of the territory in my brain, which is I never like people to judge for me what was right and wrong. I always wanted to do that myself. I didn't want somebody to put their finger in my face and say, bad. It's like, oh yeah? How do you interpret? Are you true to your standards? If you say bad, but then you go ahead and do it anyway, if you're what we call a hypocrite, I'm not interested in your judgment of my behavior. So that was always the way I kind of thought it. But then, at a certain point, um, I suspended judgment of the Buddha saying ten evil, ten good deeds and suspended judgment. I, I held off saying, wait a minute, I don't want the Buddha laying a trip on me. I said, let me not decide right or wrong for him to say that, say this is good, this is evil. Try it. Look into it. Investigate it. See if I can improve it. I took it on faith, you could say, that there was wisdom behind this judgment. I'm going to sneeze, excuse me. (coughs) I took it on faith that the Buddha was giving me this decision, good, evil, um, from a kind heart. And that was good enough for me. I'll look into it because I don't believe the Buddha wanted me to be less free. He was not, that was our phrase, laying a trip on me, i.e. forcing me to accept his judgment so that his agenda could be served so that I would be tied up by his decisions. Not at all. That was the basis for my suspending judgment and then looking into it more deeply. Could it be that the Buddha was right? That this is evil, this is good, because he wanted me to get free. That these were reliable. Maybe. Look into it yourself. That's the attitude. That's the approach. So, I'm presenting, before we touch it tonight, I'm showing you the what's why I said a flag should go up in your mind when somebody says good, bad. The question is, who says good or bad? And when the answer is the Buddha says, my decision personally was to say, okay, I won't accept it until I look into it. If I find this holds true for me too, then I'm going to be a little more ready to say, hmm, I think that's right. All right? So you have to, I think the attitude the Buddha wanted us to look into this with was try it out, investigate it, apply it to your life, see if you get the results that the Buddha gave it to us with. Results that he experienced. Okay, so just that's a little bit of a caution before we start out. Now, um, 
being an ethical text, talking about what people do, it's a good idea to do this or a bad idea to do this, we've had um, the presentation in the second ground of ten things, ten deeds, ten behaviors. Three are done by the body, four are done with the mouth, and three are done with the mind. So three things the body can do, four things the mouth can say, and three, not thoughts, but attitudes the mind can have. That the Buddha said, when we do them, bad stuff results. When we avoid them, good things result. Okay? That's what, what we just heard about since we started the second ground. Ten good deeds, ten evil deeds... And the way it works, the standard here is the evils are clear, bad to do, because it impacts your life, and simply not doing them creates the good. Okay? That's always a part of the Buddha's teaching. Avoiding evil spontaneously creates goodness. It's that it leaves the goodness that we already have intact. It leaves it there. Right? That's that's an interesting point. We won't get into that so much. But what are the ten? Three with the body. Killing, stealing, and lust or adultery particularly. Promiscuity as well. So, killing, stealing, and sexual misconduct which is defined as if you're married, lust. If you're unmarried, promiscuity. Hurting other people with your sexual desire. Killing, stealing, lust. Three with the body. Right? Compare them to Ten Commandments. Three for three. When you get to the four done by the mouth, lying, gossip, or schism making, breaking people up, profanity, harsh speech, and what's called frivolous speech. And frivolous speech means prattle or scattering with words. Those are the four ways of using speech that hurt. They cause pain. They're evil. Four evil deeds. Lying, gossip, profanity, frivolous speech. Four ways of using the mouth that hurt, harm, therefore evil. Okay, and then three attitudes. Greed, the attitude that more is better, the most is best. It's greed. It's an evil that people can do. Anger, hatred, is an attitude that people can do and it hurts and harms. And then the last one is called wrong views or delusion, sometimes called stupidity, right? It's got two translations. One is yu the other is xie jian. Stupidity or wrong views. Seeing things the way they're not. Belief in things that are not the case. Such as that cause and effect is not true. Typically that last one is always based on cause and effect. That if you create evil, there's no consequences. That's a wrong view. For example, if you kill, it doesn't matter. If you lie and Nobody knows you got away with it. 
that's called the wrong view, and it's called delusion. Okay, so three attitudes of the mind. Greed, anger, delusion. Interesting, right? Of all the things people can do, the Buddha picked out these ten specifics. Three, three with the body, four with the mouth, three with the mind, as evil. Now, that we're translating the word uh as evil. We got it as evil. Hmm. Sorry, we got it as uh in the Chinese. Someone else, if you were trying to be really politically correct, could say uh, misdeeds, probably, or misfortunes, or something like that. But in fact, it means evil deeds. Because avoiding those are the shan, the ten wholesome, good deeds. What a human can do if they are wise and harmless. Not harming self, not harming the victims of killing, stealing, lust, etc. So, in our, if we're comparing, we said killing, stealing, and adultery are show up in the Ten Commandments in the foundation of traditional Judaism and Christianity, both Roman and Eastern and Protestant Christianity all affirm that Moses brought the tablets down from Mount Sinai and said, thou shalt not, right? Kill, steal, lust, lie, bearing false witness. So we have four out of four. The first four, killing, stealing, lust, lying, the first of the four with the mouth, are all affirmed by some of the world's major religions. When you look into Hinduism, when you look into Islam, you find the very same basic advice about what is good for people to do and what is good for people to avoid. Okay, here's the key. Here's the key that makes this more acceptable to me, an American who doesn't like to be told what to do. Which is what? It's that evil is interpreted for people who have decided that they are going to make progress along a spiritual path. That's the yardstick by which the Buddha measures evil or good. It's not the Buddha is judging you and saying, you're an evil person. You're a good person. Not. The words say, ten evil, ten goods. The Buddha is saying, if you are embarking on a path that you hope will answer the questions you are asking, such as, who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? What is good to do in the world? How to live righteously? How to be a mensch, as they say in Judaism? How to be a great hero, a da zhangfu, a mahapurusha, as they say. How to do that? How are you going to be that kind of person? If you have asked those questions, then avoid these ten behaviors because they will block your progress. They will stop you. Okay? For example, if you kill, there are results. If you steal, there are results. Stealing is something that happens on a physical plane. You took the stuff. You didn't give the stuff that you're supposed to give. You took more than your share. You didn't report what you took, etc. This is physical stuff. 
but its effect on the mind blocks your spiritual progress. That's the point. For example, Master Hua said, we're doing Chan retreats in the city of 10,000 Buddhas right, right now. And uh, in 19... Was it 1985? Master Hua came in during the winter Chan and he said, just out of the blue, this is like a week and a half into the first into the Chan. He said, do you know why we tell you not to lie? We're all going, huh? Shriva was talking. You know, it's like blink, 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 because we were all, Shriva, what was that, Shriva? You know why we tell you not to lie? No, Shriva. Because, he said, do you know the effect on the waters of the mind of one lie? Think of your mind like an ocean. You tell one lie, you have thrown a stone in that water and 100 ripples come out from that lie. You have disturbed the stillness of your mind to the extent of a hundred ripples in the water. When will you see through to the bottom of the mind? When those hundred ripples subside. That's why we tell you not to lie. He said. We're all going. Okay. How many lies did you tell today? Uh, sure, I wasn't talking. I was meditating. Huh? But how many lies did you plan to tell? You know. <laughs> So it's like, uh, 12, Shifu? 12 times 100, you know. When will you see to the bottom of your mind? When those 1,200 ripples subside. And they start to like interact. The ripples going to, pretty soon, you're only seeing the bay in a windy day, not on a calm day. And he says, count them up and be afraid. He said, be afraid of telling lies. So then he's, walked away. That was a really effective Dharma talk that day because it was like, oh man, no wonder, you know. I'm sitting here watching and I'm all thinking about random, chaotic, nonsense thoughts because I myself put my hands in the water of the mind and went like that. By telling half-truths and concealed truths, deluded truth, you know, deliberate lies, making the water in my mind go... So, that's with one of the ten evil deeds called lying, the first of the, of the mouth. Imagine what happens when you kill someone with intent and malice. Drop dead, you creep. Right? It's like, what does that do to the, the mirror of your mind? When do you come back to stillness after you deliberately kill someone with intent? The same for greed. Greed poisons the mind. Anger poisons the mind. So, all these ten deeds are not given by the Buddha because he will like you more if you do the ten goods. Or the Buddha thinks you're a better person. Not. The Buddha is not interested in your opinion of how he thinks about us. The Buddha wants us to get liberated from suffering. Because he already has. And he's got the method. And so he wants us, should we choose, to follow him. And he's saying, please, avoid these things because as much as I want to get you liberated, every killing, stealing, lustful act will do that same thing to what you're looking at, which is the mind. You're going to confuse yourself. So can you live a way that avoids these? That's an ethical description from the Buddha's practical 
The Dharma is there to use. It's not there to judge or to tell us that we're better people or worse people. Right? It's to give us an unvarying standard of the path that will carry us all the way. And should we choose to change our behavior according to those guidelines, we'll get there too. That's the idea. So, when I figured that out, it was more approachable and more attractive because it's an empowering system. It says you do it. You get the results. Nobody else. I can't take you there, said the Buddha. I'll show you how I got there and encourage you. But you have to do it yourself. So the, the, the verse goes, No one saves us but ourselves. No one can. No one may. You yourself must walk the path. Teachers only show the way. That appealed to me. Um, all right. Now, back to our text. Hey, hey, hey. I'm going to move you over to page 13 and 12, 12 and 13. Sure, We just finished here the ten, the description of the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten goods, ten goods and ten evils. We just described, just sure, uh, twelve and thirteen. We just finished the twelve. Now it's in a summary. The Buddha is here summarizing. All right, and uh, look at the second, the the third paragraph. First paragraph is his mind's views. Second paragraph, disciples of the Buddha. Third paragraph, disciples of the Buddha. All right? So second from the bottom, third from the top. Disciples of the Buddha, this Bodhisattva Mahasattva further makes the following reflection. The ten unwholesome karmic paths are causes for undergoing rebirth in the hells as an animal or as a hungry ghost. The ten wholesome karmic paths are causes for being born as a person or as a deva up to the highest heaven. Station of the summit of existence. Okay? So, summary. Ten evils, you can lose your human body. Ten goods, you can come back as a person. You can be born as a deva, which is not God, capital G. It's one of the many states of existence, of rebirth, above the human realm, still in samsara. Even to the point of the highest, the station of the summit of existence is another name for the highest of the, he- of the heavens, the Deva realm. Okay, so, ten evils, you can fall. Ten goods, you can come back as a better human or be born above the human realm in the Deva realm. So far, so good. Summarizing, let's do the next one. Furthermore, when the supreme grade of these ten wholesome karmic paths is cultivated by means of wisdom, when one's mind is low and inferior, when one fears the three realms, and because one is deficient in great compassion, When one's understanding comes from hearing the sounds of others, one accomplishes the vehicle of sound hearer. All right. Now, look at this one. Flip over to the next page. One accomplishes the vehicle of solitary enlightened. One accomplishes the vast great conduct of a bodhisattva. What we're looking at with these is a very interesting uh, part of Buddhist teaching. In, in the Dharma, 
the Buddha um, did outline what we call cosmology. Cosmology, cosmos, same word. Cosmos is like the non the non earth part of the sky and the solar system. Cosmology, the Buddhist talked about how the world is made. Cosmology describes what the world's made of. We've all done that. We've all gone, wow, you know, look. We had an event here on the twenty second of December. We had a full lunar eclipse. Right? The earth went right through the, sh- the moon, went right through the shadow of the earth and went black. The moon went black, right? And it happened exactly on the winter solstice. And I would love to describe to you the actual celestial mechanics of how it works, but I won't. Because about three out of 50 would be interesting. Anybody who wants to hear that lecture, stick around afterwards and I'll be happy to describe how. The moon cuts across the ecliptic, which is the sun's path around the earth's path around the sun. Sun, earth doing this, right? 23 and a half degrees, like that. The moon, the earth is going like this. Let's see, just do it this way. Here's the sun, here's the earth, and something else is happening. What? The moon is going around the earth. So the earth is going around the sun, the moon is going around the earth, right? So, Twice a year, let's say here's flat. So if we looked, here's the horizon, flat zero degrees. And the earth doesn't go zero degrees around the sun. The earth goes 23 and a half degrees off flat parallel around the sun. So the earth goes in a path like this, not like this. It goes, that's the... 23 and a half degrees. And the moon is going... How often? 24 hours. How often does this happen? 365 days. Say we start here, 365 days later, we're back. How many times does the Earth go around? 24 hours. It's back. Like that. So we have these various motions going around. Okay. So, twice a year, the sun hits the Earth and sends a shadow because the earth has mass it's not it's the medium sized planet jupiter's the biggest and mercury's the smallest and the sun is shining in all directions and when the earth there's always an earth's shadow behind it every now and then the moon goes right through that shadow on its way around 24 hours it's called an eclipse all right twice a year the earth directly hits that zero angle, the flat angle, like a tabletop angle. That's called the solstice. There's the winter solstice, the summer solstice. Then at the peak, there's the autumnal and the vernal, meaning spring, equinox. There's four, four angles as the earth goes around. That solstice is when the, actually the solstice is the farthest away. The summer and the winter. So the Earth is going, boom, hits that solstice, always the same time, the 21st, 22nd of December. 21st, 22nd of July is the summer. That's the longest day of the year. This is the shortest day of the year. That means the dark is longest, the sun time is shortest, right? So this year, 
the Earth hit that shortest point that it goes to every year, at the very same time, the moon went through our shadow, which is like a rare event. Okay, So, that's an event. The Buddha said, here's how the world is built from the point of view of beings, people and others. Here's how it's built. He says, there are ten places that humans and others can come back. There are ten realms of existence. They're called the ten Dharma realms. The ten Dharma Datus, they're called. There are six which are involved with mortality. Samsara. Samsara means birth and death. Six out of the ten are involved with birth and death. In other words, you can die there and you can be born there. Those further divide into three and three. Three suffering paths or rebirths, three less suffering rebirths. But all of those are involved in birth and death, samsara. The three ones to avoid, the hells, the ghosts realm, and the animals realm. Because suffering and ignorance outnumbers the delight and wisdom. The three good ones, better than the three evil ones, are the human's realm, a realm called Asuras, A-S-U-R-A. In Greek mythology they were called Titans, and then the realm of the gods, the Deva's realm. And those three are considered to be better because the suffering and the bliss are either equal or more bliss than suffering and more ignorant, more wisdom than ignorance. But all six of those ten are still involved in birth and death. So, mark that one. From this description, the Buddha's description of how the world is built, gods still die. That's a different view than the Hindu, than the ancient Hebrew, than the Christian description. Gods die. But Western mythology, think about Wagner's operas, right? The Death of the Gods, Gotterdammerung, gods die. So, this is part of our heritage understanding. All right. So, in those six paths, that's called the six-spoked wheel. We talk about that. You, in the Buddhist pictures, sometimes you see a, the wheel. The Buddhist symbol is the wheel. That's because the Buddha said... Humans are always doing good and ascending and becoming a deva and then exhausting their blessings and coming back to the human realm. And when they're humans, if they really mess up, they can lose their human body and go down to the animal realm or the ghost realm, etc. So he says it's like musical chairs. And we're always one place or the other. Shrifa would say, Huran zai tian, huran zai di, huran zai chusheng, huran zai uigui. Suddenly we're a human, suddenly we're in the Deva's realm. Suddenly we're born as a ghost, now we're an animal. He said it was, it's really like that. And if you can see it, if you have what's called your Deva eye open, this is as clear to you, they would say, as the, an apple in the palm of your hand. As clear as these chrysanthemums here in front of me. So, uh, if you don't have your eye open, you have to take it on the Buddha's word or suspend your judgment. All right, so that's part of the way the world is built. 
At the same time, there are what are called four sages' destinies. Six rebirths when you get out of samsara. When you leave birth and death, there are four more places where you can go, says the Buddha. That's where we are tonight. Okay? I said, we page back to 13, we have sound hearers, solitary enlightened, bodhisattvas, and then we have Buddhas. So the four sages' destinies, the four rebirths that are actually cultivated, they're not reborn, is what's called a sound hearer, also called a voice hearer. There's a solitary enlightened one, also known as conditioned awakened one, somebody who awakens to conditions. The Bodhisattva's path and the Buddha's path. So that completes our ten Dharma realms. And that's the way the Buddha said the world is built. People are right in the middle. We're, um, some by some reckoning, number five, by other reckoning, number four of the ten. And the best part about being a human, which is where I'm assuming all of us are here tonight, um, the best thing about being a human is that the, all the other roads open to us. We can cultivate as a human and go beyond samsara. As, interestingly enough, as a god, you'd think being a dev is better, right? Because it's more blissful. We talked about that in detail last week. The Buddha would say, not for sure. Because when you're born as a god in the heavens, things are really pleasant. For the body, it's really blissful. But the problem is, you're spending your blessings. And the Buddha described it as exactly like a bank account of blessings. When they're gone, you leave the heavens again. It's so nice, everybody forgets to practice in the heavens. So it's in the end, it's just another stop in samsara. It's not an ultimate place to be. So the human realm is, again, from the point of view of practice, of spiritual path, a better place to be because suffering is right in front of us. Not necessarily impacting your body, but you can see it. You can see, you know, Queensland, I mentioned. When I was there three weeks ago, New South Wales, down where Sydney is, was getting hit by floods. And they have had drought. Everybody says, Australia, bone dry, right? Not this year. It's, uh, when I was there, the report was that uh, three quarters of the wheat crop was washed away. Or was full of rust, which happens when it's too wet. Couldn't harvest it. A total loss. So Australia's wheat intake, which feeds a lot of China, by the way, was down to a quarter. That was three weeks ago. Since then, the flooding has moved north to Queensland and they're evacuating towns. They're flying helicopters in to get people out of the way of the floodwaters now. So you go, yeah, that's not so great, huh? And um, there was this, the other statistic that just really got me. When you think about suffering, or that word dukkha, Suffering is not the best translation. More unsatisfying. Not the way you want it is a better translation of dukkha. 
Sometimes it's the it hits you from behind, it, like in football, a clipping. When you get clipped in football, the, the tackler gets you from the blind spot. The statistic that tells me that our human realm is a place where it's good to cultivate to leave. It's good to get out of the human realm to leave especially in a time like ours, this statistic was really scary. This uh, climatologist said, I study plankton. He said, what is plankton? Plankton is little algae that grows in the ocean. It's a saltwater thing. And it's very primitive. Single cell, double cell, little green stuff. It looks kind of like chia seeds, I guess, or it's just tiny, you know. It's kind of like uh, spirulina, you know. If you put spirulina in your spirulina in your, your orange juice, it's like that. It's tiny little green things that float in the ocean. Why do we want to know about plankton? We know the whales eat it, krill, and they, they strain it out and stuff. The reason why we want to know about plankton, why this is something to pay attention to, this man said, I read about this in the Huffington Post, the guy said, I'm really worried about this because plankton is the lungs of the planet. Humans breathe oxygen. We exhale carbon dioxide. Plankton is the engine that creates the oxygen we breathe. 40% of, no, 60% of the oxygen that humans go, that we're counting on right this minute, right here in the Berkeley Monastery, we're going... And that's oxygen we're taking in. 60% of that is made by plankton worldwide. Furthermore, plankton absorbs CO2. It's a very lovely thing that humans utterly, totally depend upon, as well as dogs and mosquitoes, everything that breathes oxygen. This is the, the, the invisible, almost, so tiny. Who thinks about plankton? This is the the nursery that creates, that gives birth to the air we breathe. The guy says, guess what? Plankton depends upon cold salt water because salt water, the oceans worldwide, have grown by, in temperature by one degree. 40% of the plankton in the ocean is gone. He said, I'm worried about that. He said, so it's like, I didn't want to give you something more to worry about tonight. How's your compassion fatigue, right? Are you just about full up with the things to worry about? <laughs> so, but just to say, the human realm is a good place to be among the six paths of rebirth because we know these things and we think, good grief, what if someday we all go, <laughs> can't get enough oxygen? What do you do? Where do you go? You go, oops, massive die-off. You know, And it's going to come, if it comes, from an unknown, probably not going to be dramatic. It's not going to be like you know, Hollywood's version of the day after tomorrow, you know, where this great tidal wave bears down and buries the Empire State Building. It's probably not going to be as dramatic. It's going to be something like... <coughs> can't get enough oxygen on Why not? Well, the plankton's gone. How come? We warmed the water up. Okay, so we don't need more things to worry about. But just to say, the human realm is a place where 
when we hear these things, we can go, gee, maybe I better figure, spend a little more time thinking about what's going on here, looking at a bigger picture than just the next meal, or running from pain and progressing, pursuing pleasure. Not to say that that's all we do by any means, but this is where we find ourselves right now. Buddha said being a human is a place where we can actually take steps towards cultivation. If you're an animal and you have a really good heart, it's difficult to create blessings. It's difficult to cultivate stillness. If you're a ghost, your body is a clump of energy. If you're in the hells, mostly you suffer. There's not much time to do anything else than repay debts. So if you're a deva, it's too pleasant. It's, you're just constantly thinking it's going to last. Because it does. The quality of, you know, when, when was, think about the best vacation you ever had, right? You were just hoping it would last. It's like that in the heavens, apparently. So, that's samsara. And here, the Buddha is telling us, here in the human realm, these ten good deeds can keep us as humans. It can also take us to the deva realm if we behave really wisely, fostering, supporting our spiritual path. All right? Now, suppose we're ready for tonight. Let's go. We leave samsara. We cultivate and become a sage. We put an end to birth and death. Let's look at page 13. Furthermore, the supreme grade of the ten wholesome karmic paths is cultivated by wisdom. Someone looks at killing, stealing, lust, lying, the other three, greed, anger, delusion, and he, she sees through and says, I'm not going to do those things. They use wisdom in every step. Last week we talked about if an arhat, if a, if a sound hearer, this sage walked in and sat down, we would probably want to bow to this person. They would be radiant, right? Very wonderful. However, mind, this person's mind is low and inferior. This is interpreted to mean by comparison with the selfless bodhisattva. Low meaning still concerned for one's own liberation. Fears the three realms. Doesn't want to become a hell dweller, ghost or an animal. That's realistic. And deficient in great compassion. Again, from the point of view of the bodhisattva, this person doesn't see the bigger picture. That's why the Avatamsaka is critiquing a sage, saying, wow, this radiant, incredible, spiritual saint sitting here still has room to grow. Right? If your understanding comes from hearing the sounds of others, meaning you cultivate mostly on faith, not on your own wisdom yet, you become a sound hearer. You have ended birth and death. Congratulations, you're out of samsara. Not easy to do. You've put an end to desire. You're a good, good, kind-hearted person, but you're not yet on the bodhisattva path. You haven't made the bodhi resolve. Okay? All right. Flip over. That's the first of the top four, the first of the four sages. Second of the four sages, here we go. Furthermore, the supreme grade of the ten wholesome paths 
is cultivated perfectly. You haven't been taught by others, but you're enlightened on your own, but you still have not realized great compassion or expedient means. You're enlightened through understanding of profound dharmas and causes and conditions. Then you become solitary enlightened. Okay, second grade of sage. Again, this person's ended birth and death, out of samsara. If they walked in here and sat down, we would be astounded by this person. They would look like a spiritual hero. This is a, what do they say, a spiritual warrior. This is a champion. This is somebody who's not only good-hearted, but also deeply wise. Someone who you'd get a really good vibe from. Kind-hearted person. A saint, right? This is just as good as people get, except what? not fully endowed with great compassion or expedient means. It means the, the solitary awakened, also called conditionally awakened, awakened by conditions, awakened to conditions. This person still isn't resolved to help others. The critique, and there's a clear jab here, says, not as good, still not home. This comes from the point of view of the Bodhisattva. So these sutras do have an agenda to that extent. There is a criticism here saying we want these cultivators to become Bodhisattvas, to see the connection between all living things, to not simply end their birth and death and their suffering for themselves. Keep going says the sutra. They're not there yet. Okay? So that's the second one, solitary enlightened. All right? Let's move on. Uh, this is the new text tonight. Yo, this, I'm on the second paragraph in Chinese. Yo, zi shang pin shi shan ye dao, xiu zhi qing jing, xin guang wu liang gu, ju zu bei min gu, fang bian suo she gu, fa sheng da yuan gu, bu she zhong sheng gu, Furthermore, when the supreme grade of these ten wholesome karmic paths is cultivated to purity, when one's mind is vast and limitless, when one's endowed with compassion and sympathy, when one uses expedient means to gather in beings, when one brings forth great vows, when one does not abandon living beings, when one seeks the great wisdom of all Buddhas, when one purifies and regulates all the Bodhisattva's grounds, when one purely cultivates all the Paramitas, one accomplishes the vast, great conduct of a Bodhisattva. So here we have the third Saint Sage's path. This is a description of the Bodhisattva from the point of view of the ten good and the ten evil deeds. What does it say? It's the same as before. Notice the text is the same. That's been true for um, the last two. Okay, It's not the, the first one. This person doesn't kill, doesn't steal, doesn't commit sexual misconduct, doesn't speak falsely, 
their mind is free of greed, anger, and delusion. All right? Their mind is vast and boundless. Their heart is completely unhindered by wrong thoughts, by delusions, by prejudices, by biases, by wrong knowledge, useless knowledge. They are replete with empathy and mm, sympathy. All right? They have this compassionate, full, the fullness of compassion. They use expedient means to help other people. Here's the big difference. Right there is the turning point. These bodhisattvas um, pay attention to other people. They really find ways to help them across. They have made great vows. They're coming back now, not by karma, but by vows. The, the engine that brings them back into a body is not just what they've done, but what their resolve is. They've made a thought to come back. It's called a vow. They don't let living beings go. They're looking for the great wisdom of the Buddha. They hope to seek, to accomplish the great wisdom of the Buddha. And they purify and regulate. Those are really interesting verbs. right? Think of that. Jing means purity, but not goody two-shoes purity. It means to the last point, ultimately perfect. Zhi means to, it's the same word as to govern. They make it work in their lives. They, they essentially make work all the grounds of the Bodhisattva. Not just the second ground, but they've gone to the end of the ten and come back. Jing xiao yi che zhu du gu. Furthermore, same verb, they purify and cultivate all of the paramitas, all the perfections, all the ways that take beings across. Cheng pu sa guang da hong. And they bring to success, they successfully practice all of the bodhisattva's vast, great practices. These are real meditators. They can really meditate to the point where walking, standing, sitting, lying down, their minds never leave their practice behind. They're focused on their meditation, on their mindfulness, 24-7, all the time, all the time. They don't lapse. That's the Bodhisattva. So we're getting... Another, this is the top of the heap, right? We've had the six paths and the ten practices, uh, the ten evils and the ten goods can bring you up and down in those. And Master Hua would say, we're always like coming and going, coming and going in those six paths. Now we have, out of samsara, three success stories. They've already entered nirvana this may be a new idea for people. Nirvana has levels. Nirvana simply means birth and death is over for you. You don't come back again. But there are different stages of nirvana. All right? And we have...
Let's do the next one, all right? Let's do the next one, because there's one more path, and that's the Buddhist path. Furthermore, as to the most supreme grade of these ten wholesome karmic paths, when one has purified all their modes, up to and including certifying to the ten powers and the four fearlessnesses, then one accomplishes all Buddha dharmas. Therefore, I now also, alike, cultivate the ten wholesome paths. I should bring them to. I should bring them all to perfect purity. Typo there. The Bodhisattva should study such expedient means as those. Okay, that's a concluding paragraph. And it doesn't say, I should become a Buddha. It's because why? The sutra is teaching us about the Bodhisattva path. Bodhisattvas have the abilities of a Buddha, except for one difference, which is they say, I'm going to stay here among living beings, and practice what? The ten powers and the four methods of fearlessness. Those are the tools that a bodhisattva uses to teach. The ten powers, we won't go into them tonight, but they have to do, we've done them before, because they occur throughout the sutra. They are ways that the bodhisattva looks at somebody and knows exactly where they're at. Knows exactly what to say to bring them to the next step of their spiritual practice. Those are the ten powers. You know somebody's intelligence, their IQ. You know the language they speak. You know whether they're visual people or audible people. You know the flavors of food they like. You know the kind of stories they understand. You know what they're afraid of. You know where they've been. You know what their potentials are. And with all that knowledge, you speak. Sometimes you don't speak, you just act. That's the skill that bodhisattvas use to teach. Those are the ten powers. The four fearlessnesses have to do with being able to speak. Abilities of speech. Okay? So, there we go. That's the, the six, the six, nirvana, the six uh, samsara paths and the four nirvana. The four sages rebirths. Interesting, huh? The whole Buddha's cosmology. Now, we're set up for next week where we start this incredible, clear, concrete, knock on wood, hammer on steel description of what happens when you cultivate the ten and you get good results and what happens when you cultivate the ten and get bad results. Or you don't cultivate them and you get bad results. The ten goods and the ten evils. All right? How about some questions? How about, I mean, I've been laying out, man, nonstop. All this info, info, interpreting, but I have no idea whether this is connecting with people or whether you, like, because I think it does because why we've been preparing step by step by step. This is the summary, right? The Buddha's applying this knowledge, taking it to um, actual living beings like you and me. Questions?
，哎，有什么问题没有啊？你们没有问题，我就有问题了。我会问你们。Yes， 你问。That's that's your comment. Joe, that's your comment. Yeah, great. Okay, thank you, Ewan. She said um, last week we talked about uh, Maitreya Bodhisattva. We're we're going through the heavens last week, and we were going specifically through the six desire heavens, the twenty-eight form heavens, and the four formless. In the desire heavens, there's the fourth out of six called the Tushita heaven, Doshaito Tian, the Tushita heaven. And it divides according to the Buddhist description the two. There's the inner court and the outer court. They say of the heavens, the Buddha would always say, "Don't cultivate with that as your ultimate goal, because you fall out of them." Finally, of the heavens, the best one to be reborn in is the inner court of the Tushita heaven. Why? Maitreya Bodhisattva, the Buddha to be, is speaking Dharma there. Every Buddha. In his progress towards coming back to the earth to teach, spends a period of time in the inner court of the Tushita heaven speaking Dharma. That's what they say. So I, I brought that out last week. There's another factoid, which is when Maitreya. This is the you know the Maitreya we've always we've heard you know the Buddha to be. When he comes, he's only going to be here for three days and three nights. You don't want to miss him, right? Don't be on vacation. Don't, you know, contract to work late, you know, overtime. Some Buddhas teach for limitless eons. Our Buddha taught for 49 years, right? Maitreya, short, really short. Every Buddha is different. True, every Buddha is different. So Iwan tonight said there is a sutra that says how to get there. There's a sutra called on the sutra on Maitreya Bodhisattva's teaching in the Tushita Heaven and how to go there. And the method is same method: uphold these ten good deeds, cultivate the five precepts, including the eight precepts and the Bhikshu Bhikshuni precepts, and you can be reborn there. But there's one more piece in that, which is you have to. Make a resolve to go. 
You have to want to be there. That's the key. You have to say, I will be reborn in the dragon flower assembly with Maitreya Bodhisattva. That is how, that's how Shurfu used to tell us. He would say, don't miss Maitreya. You can blink and it's over. You know, three days and three nights. But you make a resolve. You say, I will be reborn there. I want to go to the dragon flower assembly. And then be an ethical person. Be a good person. Cultivate in a way that helps your practice and helps other people. Okay? You go. Then you go. Thank you for that, Iwan. But that's the key, is you know about it and say, I want to go there. Okay. Could we pass out the songbooks? Yes. Yeah. Okay. This is complicated, isn't it? <laughs> Bring your passport and decide where we want it stamped. Okay. The question is, we constantly hear about Amitabha Buddha and being reborn in his western land of utmost happiness, right? Who are you staring at? This giant Buddha here. Above us. That's Amitabha in, in lights. What about being born in the pure land of Amitabha? Well, it's a choice. All right? Now, if you go, if you go to the pure land of Amitabha, you will not be reborn in Maitreya Bodhisattva's time of speaking Dharma unless you want to be. But if you go to the western land of Amitabha, the pure land of Amitabha, you won't miss anything. It's not that you've blown it because you chose Amitabha over Maitreya. Don't worry. Buddhas and Buddhas are, they say, for for Daotong have the same Tao. Once you're awake, once you've gotten rid of ignorance, you're home. It's the same Buddha nature throughout the Dharma realm. All right? Pick one. You can also choose to go to the eastern pure land of Medicine Buddha. Yao shi fo qing jing liu li guang shi jie ye yi. You choose. And you, Maya's question said, is there any contradiction? It's different. For example, if you go to Canada, you're in a commonwealth country, it's very nice in Canada, can you be happy there? Of course you can. If you go to Spain, it's not a commonwealth country, can you be happy there? Of course you can. You choose. But if you're in Spain, you're not in Canada. When you're talking about Buddha lands, it doesn't matter. Okay? Here's the difference. When you're reborn in the Dharma assembly of Maitreya, Buddha, you're not in a pure land. You're in Maitreya's Dharma assembly. That's what, that's what we're talking about when we say, ask to be reborn um, in, the, in Maitreya Bodhisattva's Dragonflower assembly. When was Shakyamuni Buddha's Dharma assembly? 2,500 years ago, and it lasted 49 years. 
There was, they say, qi qi si shi jiu nian, right? Sanbai yu hui. The Buddha taught in over 300 Dharma assemblies. Maitreya's got one Dharma assembly, it lasts three days. But when the Buddha was teaching in India, half of the people didn't have a clue he was there. Right? They, who's that guy in the park under the tree with all those people? Ah, it's just some rock concert. You know. We have better things to do at home, counting our money. So, you know, my suggestion is you decide and then recite Amitabha's name and vow to be reborn in the West. Meanwhile, it won't hurt you a bit to also say, I want to be reborn in Maitreya's Dharma Assembly. I don't think they mutually obstruct each other, but they're different destinations. If you can get to Amitabha's Pure Land, go. Don't wait. Right? Question? The question is, is it true that once you reach a pure land, you can have transformation bodies that go? What I, as I understand, that's correct. Um, this is already in a realm beyond what I experienced, but the theory goes, when you get to a pure land, let's just say Amitabha's pure land, here's what's going on, according to our sutra, the Avatamsaka Sutra. What's going on is you're cultivating to become a Buddha. In a pure land, you are learning all of the ten powers, four fearlessnesses, Buddha dharmas, and expedient means. The pure lands are like schools. They're like academies. They're not like Palm Desert with the dates, you know, and movie stars and swimming pools. You don't kick back in the pure land. You're cultivating. You're learning how to teach living beings. Because the pure lands are not an ultimate destination. That's what Samantabhadra's Praxis and Vows chapter of our sutra says. In the pure land, you are perfecting your bodhisattva's skills because you're heading for Buddhahood. You're, when you're ready, after eons, you're reborn, you do what's called Ba Xiang Chang Dao. You manifest the eight signs of becoming a Buddha. And your transformation bodies go out everywhere. P the pure lands, the east and the west, are training grounds for future Buddhas. But it's way, way easier to cultivate in the pure land than it is here. Because, as they say, in Amitabha's pure land, there are no hells, there are no ghosts, there are no animals, there are no McDonald's. There is no AT&T. There is no WikiLeaks, because there's no government to, to you know, disclose the secrets about. So how different, right? There is no AIDS. There are no civil wars between brothers and families. Okay, so, yes, when you're in the Pure Land, you're learning to send out transformations. Go to Maitreya's three-day party, come back, continue to cultivate. You know, you'll hear really good Dharma at the Dragonflower Assembly. Why see? The Dharma
Yeah. So, YC mentioned that our, our question from our Dharma friend includes in the Amitabha Sutra, it says that what, what bodhisattvas cultivating in the Pure Land do is they go out and they make offerings to Buddhas. This, mind you, this realm is way beyond, you know, this is like bodhisattvas, they say, um, you know, at this point you're free to do what you want. What bodhisattvas mostly do is they go to other Buddha's assemblies, make offerings, be what's called the influential assembly. They show up and other people go, wow, Maitreya is going, you know, Manjushri is going to Maitreya's assembly. Let's follow Manjushri and go hear the Dharma. So they show up and everyone comes along to, you know, wow, look, Mick Jagger is coming to the sutra lecture. Let's go listen with Mick. Look, here Bono is going over to, you know, to the cathedral. Let's go pray with Bono. Like, okay. Cool. So yes, this is this is a realm. You know, I'm trying to bring it down to earth, and we're talking up in the highest of the highest. So, what I want to do, I'm going to bring an arhat into our Buddha hall using our songbooks after we transfer merit. So let's transfer the merit first. Then we're going to hear about one of these beings we've just heard about in theory. All right? So, let's get ready to transfer the merit and virtue. And I'm going to ask Mary Rose to send some wholesome vibrations out to the world. It's colder in the kitchen where she just was and coming into the Buddha hall detuned. She's that sensitive. All right. Um, Dedication of merit is interactive. It works because of the vows that you make, the, the wishes that you make. And this is not a Buddhist-only practice. This is a practice that anybody uh, is welcome to participate, each in your own tradition, whichever way you're accustomed to. Just make a wish and share the goodness that comes from being together on New Year's Day, doing this, uh, this radical thing of looking into ancient texts. And, applying the wisdom to our behavior. That's goodness, and when we share it, it goes out to the world. So there are incredible kinds of, of grief impacting people's lives tonight. So if we uh, use our minds to project goodness, then there's less to that extent.
break the darkness of their endless night because our hearts are one this world of pain turns into paradise may all become compassionate and wise may all become compassionate